Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to finish the uh, verses 7 through 23. And uh, tonight, the Nehemiah and his workers, uh, the Jews, are, are preparing for battle. They're preparing for battle. We're going to look again now at the opposition that Nehemiah had to deal with from the outside. When mocking and smirks and jeering and poking fun at God's people and the work of God, when that doesn't work, here it takes a, a, a more scary form, a more frightening form. They're going to step it up a bit, but, not, you know, but in a bad way. Because you see, ridicule didn't work for the enemy. And because it didn't work, the enemy turns now to physical force. They're going to play a little rougher now. Ridicule became threats and the smirks and the mocking became schemes. Enemies like Sanballat and Tobiah were not the kind who were happy just expressing their hatred with mockery. Their sharpest jabs of, car, of, of sarcasm, which we saw last week in verses 1 through 6, it didn't penetrate the devoted heart of Nehemiah. It didn't get to him. It didn't cut him up the way they were, his enemies hoping that it would. So ridicule now has to go uh, take it up a notch. It now turns to force. The enemy now plans to make war against the Jews. The enemy now goes from a verbal attack to a physical attack. And this is always the order that evil takes. And, and Satan's tactic is discouragement. Let's begin now with verses 7 through 9 in chapter 4. And we, and we read, Now it happened. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, that is in spite of what they were trying to do, Nehemiah says, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, that is our enemy, we set a watch against them day and night. What stirred the enemy up is that they heard that the walls were being restored. The work was getting done. And when you move forward in God's work, you'll constantly encounter the opposition of the enemy. The more progress you make, the more the enemy will get riled up and the meaner he'll get. So the more you want to do for God, the stronger you need to be spiritually. If we're going to keep moving forward in God's work, we're going to have to pray. And we're going to have to study the word of God more in order to carry us through the attacks of the enemy. So after they heard, it about, they heard about the walls, the, the haters got together and they planned to attack Jerusalem, verse 8 says, to create confusion. But now if you notice in verse 7, there's a bigger crowd. It's not Sanballat and Tobiah. Notice now they got the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdods. That have joined with them. So the crowd is getting bigger against Nehemiah and the workers. More people now are joining the protest. And even though we might be surrounded by our enemies like Nehemiah was. We need to remember we're also surrounded by God. And he will deliver us from those enemies that surround us. Look at verse 10. Then Judah said. The strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. 
Not only did Nehemiah have to deal with the problem of those on the outside plotting against the work, but now he has to deal with those on the inside hindering the work, saying why we can't get it done. You know, it's bad enough when we're hassled by the opposition on the outside. Now, we expect that. We expect the enemy to hassle us. But to be hassled by those inside can make the difference in getting the work done or defeating the work altogether. Those who were causing the problems on the inside was the tribe of Judah, as we read here. Now, that was not expected. You see, Judah was the tribe we'd expect to be an encouragement. Because, you see, Judah was the royal tribe that David came from and where the wall building was taking place in their tribal territory, in the land of Judah. So this was unexpected, but it's a reminder to us that there are times when we're doing God's work that we will experience opposition from the very people who they would expect should have received a lot of support from. It's discouraging to God's workers, but it teaches us to focus more on God than the man or man for our help. The psalmist says in Psalm 118, 8 through 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes or rulers. The reason that Judah was a hindrance is that they were not loyal. And we find this later on in chapter 6. Some of Nehemiah's worst problems came from the people that were, he would have expected to be supporting him. From those, again, but these were the ones who had made friends with the enemy. And if you noticed, you saw that the hindrance came, it started at the same time that the conspiracy started, which is usually the way it works. You see, Satan organizes his evil, and he organizes it as effectively as possible. So when he attacks from the outside, he also likes to attack from the inside because it causes twice the trouble. You see, at the same time, because it, because it makes both attacks a lot more effective and it's harder to deal with. When the church needs dedication the most from its members, and I'm talking about the church in whole, not, not specifically here, but as a church in whole, when the church expects you know, help from its members because of attacks from the outside, it's very effective for the devil to start serious defections from the inside. And from our study, we see the complaint and the thinking of some of the tribe of Judah that hindered Nehemiah and the work during the conspiracy from their enemies. Look at their complaint in verse 10. Notice what it says there. Judah says, notice, the strength of the laborers is failing. He says, and they say, there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. First of all, the strength of the workers was weakening. Why? Because many of the workers were now having to stand guard duty. Look at verse 9. Go back to verse 9. And it said, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of that, no, we set a watch against them day and night. And go to verse 16. We're going to jump around a little bit tonight. It says, So it was from that time on that half of them, my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and, and wore armor. So, the strength of the workers was failing because many of the workers, notice, were having to stand guard duty. Why? Because of the conspiracy. The other workers were being overworked and they were, they were, they were being worn out. They were getting weary. But this kind of complaint is always, you know, it, it's always disappointing and, and upsetting to leaders, especially when emergencies come up. But there are always some 
who just can't seem to adjust to emergencies. Because again, it requires their time. It requires sacrifice. And sometimes it's inconvenient. They're not really sold out to do the work of God. And, and those who complain, these complainers specifically from Judah, they weren't interested in fighting the enemy. They were only interested in looking out for their own selves, their own interests. And then what they did here in verse nine is they or verse 10, they exaggerated the problems. They made them sound bigger and harder than they really were, which is what these kind of people usually do. Asking these people to do more work will, again, result in a complaint. They'll say, oh, well, we're overworked and we're just too tired to do anymore. And to ask to give them to ask them to give them more of anything will result in a complaint that they're being asked to do too much. And, and, you know, it's it's a poor attitude that shows an inconsistent life. The scriptures tells us in Psalm 100, verse two, serve the Lord with gladness. Paul said in Romans 12, 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically from the New Living Translation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. These are, these are the, the, the attitudes and, and the, the way we, we, you know, we need to, to see serving the Lord. And, and this is the difference between getting the work of the Lord done and, and, and not getting it done. The second reason for hindering the work is the rubbish they said they had to work around. And they use that as an excuse to quit. Rubbish was near the walls. Well, yeah, because the walls were broken down. (laughs) The walls had been destroyed. There was ash. There was rubbish. There was was just, you know, rock everywhere. So rebuilding the walls meant having to work around the rubbish. But again, these people just couldn't handle the difficulties. Any inconvenience, any hardship that they had to deal with to do the work of God was more than they were willing to accept. The workers came to two conclusions in verse 10. They said, we can't build the wall. Now, Matthew Henry said something really, really interesting, really right on. He said, many of our can'ts are only the language of idleness, which magnifies every difficulty and danger. And I like this. I can't is not a biblical concept. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can't can't is not a biblical concept. In Christ, we can do, even when we think we can't. And then look at verse 12. So, no, so, uh, Nehemiah, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them, notice, when the Jews, they dwelt near them, that is the enemy, When the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Here's the second reason why they couldn't do it. He said, they're going to attack us from all sides, Nehemiah. But neither conclusion was good. They were both filled with unbelief. We can't do the work. Because of the rubbish. Oh, you know, they're going to attack us from all sides. You know, we're, we're, you know, again, um, neither conclusion was good because it it was filled with unbelief. They weren't including God in what they needed to do. Listen, if we're going to do a great work for God, we, we may have to work. In some very hard places, some in some very hard situations and with some very difficult people. I mean, think about David who had to serve under Saul. Saul was a maniac. 
Saul tried to kill him two or three times. You ever worked with anybody that tried to kill you? But, but he never considered Saul his enemy. He served Saul, and he allowed God to deal with Saul. Again, we see these wonderful examples in the scriptures. But again, and, and, if, and if we have to work in easy places and at convenient times and, and with easy people, we're not going to do much for the service of God. And by saying that they couldn't build the wall, it only supported what Sanballat was saying. Oh, look at these feeble Jews. What can you guys do? But the discouragers in God's work in the church talk the same talk as those outside the church opposing God's work. This second conclusion that they'll attack us from all sides, it shows their complaint and their attitude. You see, these people only see the enemy. They only see the difficulty. They only see the circumstances. They can't see God. So all they can see is defeat. But Nehemiah saw God. Look at verse 14. Nehemiah says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. He says, Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Again, now look at verse 20. He goes on to say there, he says, Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. See, Nehemiah saw God. The people saw the enemy and the difficulties of the work. Nehemiah saw the victory. There are two things in verse 12 that we want to look at about the people who said the Jews couldn't win the war. First, it says in verse 12, notice, they lived by the enemy. The Jews lived close to their enemy. And when you live close to the ungodly, you will speak and act like the ungodly. That's why God tells us to separate ourselves from the world, to not be friends with the world. You live in the world. You live close to the world. You'll act like the world. You'll talk like the world. If you don't separate from the unholy, you'll walk and talk in an unholy way. And those who are discouraged in the church, they continually insist, we can't. And they'll be found to be people in fellowship, fellowship with the world. And their complaints and their criticism will show this worldly fellowship. Secondly, we see the recurrence of their complaint. Notice it says in verse, in verse 10 or verse 12, it says, they said, they said this, how many? Ten times. The, the, these discouragers spoke negatively about the war ten times. Now, this is an Old Testament figure of speech, meaning many times instead of a literal number, you know, of 10. It's like we say, well, I heard that. I've heard that a million times. It's just an expression that says, man, I've heard that so much. And that's what they were saying here. Figurative or literally, it gives the same message. They have to tell you again and again, look, we can't do it. Which is no help to God's work. Now, let's look at verse 11. Nehemiah says, and our adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to, see, to cease. Uh, so that the enemy was saying that the Jews, Nehemiah, they're not going to know anything. They're not going to see anything that we're going to do until we come right into their midst. <clears throat> In other words, the attack would be kept quiet until the very last minute. God's enemy loves to work undercover. The enemy likes to work secretly by sneaking in 
by being sneaky and by disguising his actions. Verse 11, again, it says they won't know or see anything until we come into their midst and kill them. Their goal is to stop the work of God. These people, God's enemies, had murder on their minds. See, this tells you how far the enemy is willing to go. And remember, our enemy has no boundaries. He has no age limits. He doesn't matter how old a person is to attack them or to hurt them. They, were want, they wanted to murder the workers if they had to in order to stop the work. Our enemy doesn't play games. We're in a life and death fight with the enemy of our soul. And you know, we can't afford to play around with sin or to tolerate it one bit. Paul said a little leaven leavens a whole lump. We have to fight it with all that we have, with all of our strength, and we have to fight it persistently or it will kill you. That is, it will kill our spiritual passion, it will kill our service, and it will kill our growth. And if you treat sin lightly, you will pay a very costly price. You see, again, God's enemies wants to stop the work. And sin's ultimate goal is to stop the work of God in our life. All Satan's plans are to achieve that goal, to stop the work of God in our life. Verses 14 and 15. Nehemiah says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. He said, remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it happened when our enemies noticed. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Notice the plot came to nothing. The enemy's planning and scheming was stopped. Now, This didn't happen by accident. This didn't happen because, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah and all of the enemies, all the supporters said, you know, eh, I've been thinking about it. And, and, you know, we, 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 we shouldn't go in and do this. There were specific reasons why the enemy's plan failed. And we need to follow the same, uh, 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 you know, um, remedy here. The same plan. We see those two important reasons back in verse 9. So let's jump back to verse 9. Notice that Nehemiah said, nevertheless. Now, when he said nevertheless, he's talking about what was said in verse 8. Notice, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So he said, nevertheless, even though that's what they planned to do. He said, "Let let us. He said, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, that is, we set a watch against them day and night. They did two important things that caused the enemy to stop their plot. First of all, we see there was a determination in their prayer. When Nehemiah said, nevertheless, there in verse nine, he was saying, forget about what they said. Forget about their threats. We serve a great and awesome God. We're going to pray. So there was a determination to pray. Nevertheless, nevertheless means determination. In spite of their anger, in spite of their plotting in verse 8 against Jerusalem and the armies that they were, said were coming from all sides of the city, Nehemiah didn't throw up his hands and go, oh man, we're done for. When he heard all of this, this, this stuff that the enemy was supposed to do and the anger and the threats and the army coming in from all sides, he didn't say, you know what, we're, our goose is cooked, we're done. 
We just might as well all go home and, and just stop. He said, hey, forget it. We're going to pray. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, men always ought to pray and not faint. The inference is if we're fainting, if we're falling down and we're weakening, we're not praying. Prayer will keep us from fainting. It will keep the man and the woman who is determined to pray. They will pray. They will pray. The second important thing to see about this prayer is who it was that the prayer was directed to. He said, we will pray to our God. Nehemiah prayed to our God. This means Nehemiah knew where to go to pray. He knew where the source of help came from. And many times when we're messed up in life and we're, we got things just going haywire and, and, and we've made bad choices and we're in, we're in a mess, we often turn to every source of help but God. And men are usually very slow to turn to God for help. And usually it's a last resort. And the reason that Nehemiah and some others were quick to turn to God for help is found in the word our. You see, it shows a personal relationship with God. It's the words of somebody who knows God. People who don't know God will be slow to pray to God. But others like Nehemiah who know God, who know him well, they'll be quick to turn to the Lord God when they're in trouble. The second reason why the conspiracy wasn't successful is that Nehemiah not only prayed to God, but it says in verse 9, he did what? He also set up a watch. He set a watch. This is the part that we sometimes forget. But it's, an, it's just as important as the prayer. Because we pray, it doesn't eliminate the watching part. Praying doesn't eliminate watching and setting up the guard. The watching part is a thing that needs to be done by the person who's praying. You see, setting a watch doesn't mean that your prayer lacks faith in God. But it shows you're not lazy or irresponsible. You see, God doesn't answer our prayers or work miracles so that we just can sit back and don't have to do anything. Do anything useful. Prayer and watching go together. Prayer helps watching and vice versa. One man said, prayer without watchfulness is presumption and watchfulness without prayer is sinful confidence. If you don't watch and pray, you are bound to fail. But together, it will ensure deliverance. Praying for the Lord to give you. You know, how many times do we get in the car and many this weekend will be traveling, you know, for Christmas and going distances and, and we'll be praying for, for you know, for, for traveling mercies. God, get us to our destination safely. Now, does that mean you can just close your eyes and drive and forget the speed limit and the traffic around you? And no. We pray, Lord, get to me there safely. But I've got to watch the, the, the cars around me. I've got to obey the laws. I, I've got to be careful in my driving. I've got to pray and I've got to watch. I need to keep my eye on the road if I want a safe trip. Praying for the Lord to help you make ends meet is another wise, things to do, wise thing to do. But then, are we going out and spending money beyond our budget? You know, we have to make sure that we're not making unwise purpose, purchases if we want God to help us with our finances. 
And sometimes we fail, not because we don't pray, but because we don't watch. I mean, we can pray so sincerely, but if we don't watch, we'll make our prayer very ineffective. We heard Jesus tell the disciples, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, hey guys, watch and pray. Watch and pray with me. So that they wouldn't be defeated by evil. But we know how this story ends up. They didn't do either one. They didn't watch. They didn't pray. They went to sleep. And what happened when the pressure was on? They all deserted the Lord when he got arrested. And people are still forsaking the Lord today because they don't watch and pray the way they should. Setting up the watch consisted of six things. Let's look at, let's look at verse 13. <clears throat> Nehemiah said, therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Look at verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 21. And it says, so we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. So again, there are six things that consisted of, uh, that, that the watch consisted of six things. First, the people's assignments. We see that as we looked at verse 13, 16, and 21. The assignments that Nehemiah gave the people who were involved, they were assigned to where they would work and what the work would be they, they were doing. And Nehemiah set the men in plain sight. He put them in places where they could be seen by the enemy. All right. He, he, he could, and, and so that the enemy could see them. And it's important in war to be able to see any enemy's movement. So that you can make sure you can counter their movements. The enemy, the, the enemy being able uh, to, to see them was in order to detour them from attacking. And the lesson here is that it's necessary to take a public stand if the enemy is going to be defeated. Secret service disciples, closet Christians don't serve God very well. It's a big hindrance to God's work. Now, what their work was, look at verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Because the enemy could attack at any moment, it was important that Nehemiah have men armed who could fight at the moment's notice. Some of the workers had to stop working on the walls, and they had to stand ready with their weapons. And this, this job shows the evil effect of the opposition to God's work. Sometimes evil doesn't even have to attack the work of God in order to hinder it. Evil people, just by their talk and by their plans, can cause us to give so much time encountering what they're planning on doing that it actually takes away from the work that we're called to do. Secondly, we see the second thing that, that, that uh, his assigning the, the, the people or the watch consisted of was he armed the people. Look at, again, verses 17 and 18. It goes on to say, Those who built on, on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one 
uh, hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So Nehemiah uh, armed the people. Half of the workers have been taken off the wall and they're standing ready to fight. Those who worked on the wall were also armed. So Nehemiah had all the people armed and ready to fight if they had to. And what this teaches us is being adequately prepared is especially important, spiritually speaking. Paul said in Ephesians 6, he said, put on the whole armor of God. But for a lot of Christians, that's too much. Oh, it's too heavy. It takes too much time. It's so cumbersome. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. In other words, I don't have the time to go to church regularly. I don't have the time to read. I don't, it's, you know, and pray. It's bothersome to read so much and to pray every day. Hey, reading the word of God and prayer is our armor. It's our armor. How foolish it would be for a soldier to go to battle and leave their flak vest and their helmet and their weapon back at camp. But yet, spiritually speaking, many Christians do that. They go to war without the armor. They don't pray. They don't read. They don't fellowship regularly. If you want the victory, it requires all the armor from head to toe. Nehemiah armed all the workers, not just some of them, which had a lot to do with stopping the enemy's attack. We see also third that an alarm was set for the people to alert the workers if any attack occurred, sending them to the place of the attack. Look at verse 18. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as, it, as he built. At the, at the one who, notice, and, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Again, in verse 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Nehemiah then appeals to the people. He not only armed the workers and gave them assignments, he also inspired the people. He gave them pep talks. And in these talks, he talked about their spirit. First, he addresses their fear. In verse 14, he tells them, look, guys, don't be afraid of them. Now, fear is a powerful enemy. It can paralyze people to where they don't do anything. They're afraid to do anything. The wrong kind of fear can destroy us before we even go into battle. Remember Gideon? He started out with several thousand. God knows, said, take it down to 300. Those who are fearful, he said, tell them to go home. Why? Because fear is infectious. And when you see people afraid, and it's like parents, we try not to show our kids fear. Why? They become fearful. They get scared. We try to, you know, stand strong and sturdy in front of our children because we don't want them to be afraid. Fear is infectious. And it will do more harm than good. So he talks, he says, hey guys, don't be afraid of them. You know, he says, you know, so again, the wrong kind of fear could destroy us even before we get into the battle. And there are some things to fear and there are things not to fear. Nehemiah told the Jews, don't fear the enemy. That's fear that can harm us. But the fear of God is a different fear. That's a different kind of fear. We are to fear God. But again, the fear of man, Solomon said, brings a snare. Then he appealed to the families in verse 14. A very strong reason for the Jews to fight the enemy. He said, hey, protect your families. Families are worth fighting for. 
But today, it's really sad. There, there's not a lot of hard fighting for the family anymore. The attack on the family today is greater than ever before. The government, the schools, and society in general are all t- attacking the home and the traditional family. Our, so- our society is doing everything that it can to redefine what the family is, what the biblical uh, def- definition of the family is. And a lot of people claiming to be Christians aren't fighting for their homes. They're just giving up. Nehemiah appealed to their fighting. He exhorted the Jews to fight. Some people can't think, you know, some people can't think of the idea of, of fighting. You know, we're to be peaceful and loving, and we should be as much as we can. And, and wars to defend you know, ourselves, you know, are lawful if necessary. And they should be fought bravely in the home and for the home. Now, Scripture does not, does not support pacifism. Opposing wars of defense is like opposing capital punishment. If you don't execute the criminal, you cause the innocent to be killed. Yes, war is horrible. And many, many men that, that have been in war have seen the effects of it. And it should be avoided whenever and wherever possible, but sometimes it is necessary. If we don't go to war against aggressive nations, we will bring worse cruelty on men. And people who oppose war, they want to enjoy the privileges and the peace that it brings, but they're not willing to pay for it or support those who go out and set their lives on the line. And then Nehemiah appeals to their faith in verse 14. He says, no, remember the Lord, great and awesome. And then in verse 20, he says, our God will fight for us. You see, Nehemiah gets people's eyes on God in defending Jerusalem, the homeland. He addresses their faith. It's the most important thing he appealed to the people about. Nehemiah says two important things about God. Both should encourage the people's faith. They are God's power and they are his presence in the battle. Verse 14 speaks of God's power in the words great and awesome. He is great and awesome. We serve a great and awesome God. He's a powerful God. And when we focus on an awesome God, the enemy isn't so awesome. The enemy is not as big and fierce. Sometimes the reason our problems seem so great is that we're not focusing on the greatness of our God. And when we see God's greatness, all of those problems lose their greatness. God's presence is seen in the words in verse 20, Our God will fight for us. He'll be there. He'll be in the midst of the battle. He won't leave us there alone. We're not by ourselves. I mean, that had to be encouraging for the Jews to know that God would be there and that God would fight for them and everybody else would be fighting against them or against him. The great encouragement of this promise of God's presence in the fight is that God is great and awesome. Hey, and if somebody is going to fight for us, hey, I want to know how powerful they are. I want to know, are you able to get the job done? Are we going to get the victory? And that was how great and awesome our God is. Nehemiah certainly exhorted the people well. 
His appeals to the people were excellent. All of this emphasizes what a great leader Nehemiah was. He was a great organizer and he was a great inspirer. The fifth thing that we see that consisted in in what Nehemiah was doing here was the dwelling place of the people. Notice verse 22. He said, at the same time, I also said to the people that each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. In other words, to adequately set the watch, Nehemiah orders the people to stay in Jerusalem at night rather than going anywhere else. Because having all the people in Jerusalem at night meant that if they were attacked during the night, all of the troops would be there ready to fight uh, back and to protect the city. We need to guard at night just as much as in the day. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 13, 25, it was while men slept that the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. The night watch is very important. You know, in, in, in physical battle, the enemy seeks darkness and night to make his attack. He's harder to see. He's harder to, to, to watch the movements of the enemy. Jesus emphasized this truth in his prayer life. Remember when he continued all night in prayer when he chose his disciples. Remember, the enemy never sleeps. While we're sleeping, he's scheming. He's plotting what he's going to do and how he's going to attack you the, the morning that you get up. Now, keeping the night watch in prayer, it doesn't, appeal, it doesn't appeal to the flesh. But it will certainly give victory over the flesh. And special blessings will come to those who are keeping watch over their flock by night, as we saw in Luke 2.8 when the shepherds were out there. They received the blessings of the announcement when they were watching their flock at night. They were awake watching their flock. The sixth thing that we see is the dedication of the people. Nehemiah appeals to the commitment of the people. Look at verse 23. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes. No, took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Nehemiah appeals to the commitment of the people to overcome the enemy and to make progress in the Lord's work. It requires a lot of extra work and commitment. To defeat the plot of the enemy and to continue working on the walls, Nehemiah and the workers had to work long hours. I mean, they didn't even take off their clothes except to just to to wash them. The workers didn't have a nine to five day. And it's never that way in times of war. Many times in that time, you don't have that luxury of showers and washing your clothes and those kinds of things. Extra effort and extra sacrifice. A lot of times that's not appealing to a lot of Christians. Willingness to work from sunrise to sunset is not an attitude that a lot of Christians will commit to do. In closing... Nehemiah not only organized the workers and the guards and encouraged them to trust the Lord, but he also set the right kind of example for them to follow personally. We see that in verse 23. Nehemiah was a leader who served and he was a servant who led. He stayed on the job. 
He was alert at all times. He inspected the city's defenses every night, and he made sure that the guards were on duty. Dr. Alan Redpath, the author of a book called Victorious Christian Service, he explained why the Jews succeeded in getting their work done and keeping the enemy at bay. He said, first, the people had a mind to work, verse 6. Second, he had, the people had a heart to pray, verse 9. Third, they had an eye to watch, also verse 9. And third, fourth, they had an ear to hear, in verse 20. This is what gave them the victory. But they also had a godly leader with the faith to stand steadfast. Father, thank you so much for this very informative chapter, Lord. And God, help us to be the kind of servants, Lord, that were described here, Father. That took on the work, God. That listened to, 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 to Nehemiah, Father. But Lord, help us to listen as well, God, to the things that brought success to the, to the work of God and that kept the enemy away, Lord. Father, prayer, setting a watch, having a personal relationship with God, giving of ourselves sacrificially, giving of ourselves when it's inconvenient, God giving of ourselves to difficult places and to difficult situations, Lord. Giving ourselves to the service of difficult people sometimes, God. But that's what makes the difference between the Christian, the possessor, and the professor. It's what makes the difference in the success of God's work and the failure of God's work or the hindrance of God's work. Help us to set the watch, Lord. Help us to watch. Help us to pray. Help us to study and read, Lord. Because those are the things that will surely give us the victory over the flesh and over the enemy, Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and and you're not winning the battle over over your flesh. You're not getting the victory over situations and difficult times. But you're quitting and you're giving up because you feel weary. You're worn out. This world has has exhausted you. Because you don't know which way to turn. You don't know what to do. The counsel of the world has not helped you. but only made things worse. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's the answer. He gives direction. He gives counsel that is never wrong. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if God has spoken to you, And you recognize, I need Christ. I need that direction. I need to set a watch in my life. I need to watch over the things that I do. 
I need to pray. I need to ask God for direction and help and strength. So as the worship team leads us in this time of worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith. Mm -hmm.